everything you want is impossible to get at the exact same time because how are you going to juggle unless you have a lot of arms? Welcome to Deep Shit. This is Baron Vaughn. Um, it is Sunday night at 11, 11 p.m. as I record this. I had a full day of travel, came back from Vancouver where I did the Vancouver Comedy Fest. And uh, just like a person that goes to England and comes back with the British accent, I come back from Canada, start going A after everything. What's that old joke? The Canadian alphabet? A, A, B, A, C, A. And then you punch a person in the balls. Um, It was a fun time. I had a lot of good time in Vancouver. Uh, did a bunch of different shows at this place called The Comedy Mix, which I love. If you're a Vancouverite, it's on Burrard. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite clubs that I've ever performed at, but I also got the opportunity to perform at Yuck Yucks for the first time. There used to be a Yuck Yucks in Vancouver, which actually was the space that the comedy mix is in. Then it closed down, reopened as the comedy mix, and the Yuck Yucks was going to reopen for like two years, and finally they just opened another one. So now there are two major comedy clubs uh, in the heart of Vancouver. Not the heart. One's downtown and one's in a different neighborhood that's called Town Down. Isn't that weird that they call it that? That's not a real thing. I made that up. Anyway, Vancouver was fun. Hung out with a lot of great comics. Spent a lot of time with Kurt Brownoler, um, Matt Kirschen, and David Huntsberger, who are all cool people. Uh, and Aaron Burrell also. Uh, Aaron Burrell and David Huntsberger are on the Professor Blastoff uh, podcast, along with Kyle Dunnigan and Tig Nataro. Great podcast. Matt Kirshen has a podcast called uh, Probably Science, which I did recently. It's him, Andy Wood, and Brooks Whelan. Brooks was absent, so it was me and Andy uh, and Matt and this guy named Dr. Peter McGraw, which was fascinating. He has developed a psychological hypothesis on what makes things funny. Not necessarily just stand-up, but what makes a motherfucker laugh in general. So if you're interested in that, and it is very interesting indeed, check out Probably Science. Uh, also check out Professor Blastoff if you feel like it. I was recently on an episode of the Long Shot Podcast with fellow uh, All Things Comedy uh, peeps, uh, Amber Kenny, Jamie Flam, and Sean Conroy. And that was a fun time and a good podcast. Speaking of ATC and All Things Comedy Network, my guest today on the podcast is another All Things Comedy uh, consort colleague. I don't know what the hell that consort. That's wrong. That's like, that's a that's like a fancy prostitute for a king, like in the fifty hundreds. That's what a consort is. Bring me my consort. Oh, you mean that strumpet? Yes, the vixen, the minx. Sure, all of them. Bring them. I'm a king. My guest today is Jackie Cation, who uh, has a fantastic podcast called The Dork Forest, based on one of her stand up jokes. The title comes from one of her stand-up jokes. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts, actually. I've done it twice. Once a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away where Jackie had to call some conference number and give you uh, another telephone. And we sat there talking to each other over telephones while the conference number recorded the call. But now she has a whole setup. It's, it's dope-tastic, mcnastic, fan-blastic. Oh, those are words that I just made up. You're welcome, your ears. Jackie and I had a nice conversation about regret. Um, fascinating. Yielded a lot of fascinating stuff, a lot of family stuff in it. Um, because Jackie is uh, curious as to the regrets of a particular family member of hers. I won't spoil it. 
That's what the podcast is for. Right, guys? Anyway, um, if you're in Boston, I am recording a half-hour special for Comedy Central um, February 27th. That is a Wednesday in Boston at a place called the Royale Theater. And um, we comedians, we're going to bring the cheese. So <laughs> it'll be a Royale with cheese, especially if I keep making jokes like a dat. Nothing I'm saying right now will be in the special. But if you're in Boston and you're interested, um, there was a website. I think it's called The Blacklist, um, something like that. Just type in Comedy Central, The Half Hour, in Boston, and something in the Google. And I don't know the exact fucking website, but just fuck you. Why did you ask me this question? <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so angry. Anyway, guys. It's going to be a good podcast. It's going to be a good special. Hopefully, I'm uh, coming up with other material that I want to resubmit. Uh, and then, what else? Um, I'm just chilling, you know? Feeling good. Feeling good about things. Kind of. My car broke down. I've been relying on rides. That's uncomfortable for anyone that has to give me a ride. And it's uncomfortable for me because usually I pee in my car. So now, I just got to hold it. Yep, that is a that is a silly thing to say. You are correct, and it's not accurate, and it's not really that funny. But uh, luckily, I said it, and that's what's really important. I know, I know it's too late for sorry. I know, I know it's too late for sorry. I know, I know it's too late for sorry. Girl, I know, I know it's too late for sorry. The first time you do it, they're super intense on your in your face about you have to do bits. Yeah. Bring your A material. Don't forget this and uh, and be the 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 brightest shining star in the world. But then there was another. They asked me to stay a little longer, and another so comedian came in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another comedian came in. Uh, a NASCAR driver came in, and just riffing yeah. like that about what was happening was way better. It was like really relaxed yeah. and getting getting actual laughs. Yes, yes. Like the bits were doing okay, but it's just kind of like they're not built for me talking to three guys. So you haven't done it again? No, because I haven't. I don't have a reason to. I haven't oh, been you out. haven't been back to the attic? Yeah, I haven't okay. been back. That was when I did it. That was like July or something like that. Which oh. Which is now six months ago, now that I think of it. That's not bad, though. I yeah. mean, the thing is, is it's. Uh, I thought that there was going to be a sad story of, Man, they didn't ask me back the next time I was there. Oh, no, I just, I would assume, I would hope next time I'm there that they would be like, oh, yeah, that guy. If they had you stay an extra segment, they liked you. So, so with these CDs, I thought what I might do is listen to some of the comedian segments and just see how they kind of flow. Wow. Because then maybe I would have a better idea of how to approach it next time. That was my, but obviously you can see the plastic is still on them, so I haven't really followed through with that. (laughs) I like the stack of intent, though, along with the Julia Cameron, the right to write. Yeah, I'm reading The Artist's Way right now. You ever read that? Uh, Several times. I have three copies of it. Weirdly enough, gave it to my husband this morning. Gave Uh, it to Andy Ashcraft this very day. I have been avoiding that book for 11 years. I have done 11 chapters twice oh really never did the 12th chapter because then i guess i'll be cured man (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of like someone was telling me that oh my friend i think it was my friend robin yeah and she grew up in a a nerd family Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and her father had never finished the lord of the rings books 
on purpose. On purpose? He was saving them, maybe? He or? Had, I think he had avoided like the, the conclusion of it, so that way the world never ends oh. in his mind. So he Had he never heard of fan fiction? No. <laughs> um, he just wanted to keep it alive, I guess. So yeah. when they went to see when the films came out and they mm-hmm. went to see them when they saw the third one, that was like the first time he saw how everything ended. And that's so not how everything ends in well, the book. The scouring of the Shire, uh, allow me to put Uh-oh. a nickel in myself. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, the fact we're dork, we're dork foresting <laughs> it. Dork Forest is taking it. It's a crossover episode. <laughs> it's a crossover episode. <laughs> the, the characters from the Dork Forest show up in deep shit. Right, there's some deep shit going on at the end of the Lord of the Rings that Peter Jackson might have wanted to include. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's using all of his powers of, for good on The Hobbit. And uh, going deep, deep into the appendices, he's like, we're going to mine some appendices. We're going to go into unfinished tales. It's going to be awesome. Well, dude, I mean, it wasn't. First of all, The Hobbit is a book, mm-hmm. right? What, 19 chapters? Probably. And the first movie was the first six chapters. Good. Which is ridiculous. No, no. But did you see it? I did see it. It's too long. No, no, yes. no, no. It's, it should, it's the it, best. It should be two movies at most. Well, here's what I'll tell you is that Peter Jackson... In my opinion, the Lord of the Rings, he nailed it every he nailed the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right? Definitely. The world is gorgeous. Uh the characters went 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 uh <laughs> not cool. First of all, Faramir, I just say the word and then I step away cuz I will fucking smother him in his sleep. Okay. For do what he did to Faramir. Uh Aragorn, Wait, who, which character is Faramir? Faramir is Boromir's brother who <gasps> finds it who in the book says, yeah. if I found it lying on the road, I wouldn't pick it up. And you're like, yeah, it was brave words. And then all of a sudden he finds it on Tiny Hobbit in front of him. And he doesn't pick it up, making him the noblest of humans. And that's the... Um, and thrown away by Peter Jackson. And it is it is the... Uh, thrown down a well. It's that... that, that like that, that fool of a took should have thrown himself down that well <laughs> in Moria. Fool of a took. <laughs> um, that's the best, like... I think that's Ian McKellen's best work whenever he says, fool of a took. That's, that's better than <laughs> anything he's ever fools. done. Um, Ian McKellen is amazing. Yes, Magneto. He, yes, he is. <laughs> he, oh, I meant to say, that actor that plays Faramir. That's yeah. right, Boromir and Faramir, because Boromir was Sean Bean, or like they call him Sean Bond, or mm-hmm, Sheen mm-hmm. Bean, <laughs> Agent 006, and then, or um, Ned Stark. And then Faramir is that really intense, he's this, uh, New Zealand, I don't know if he's an Aussie or if he's a Kiwi character actor, technically. Yeah. But do you remember 300, the movie 300? Didn't see it, but I remember it. It's the same actor. Okay. And he's got this really intense voice that's really deep. He narrates the entire movie of the 300. Okay. Then what else is he in? Oh, what did I just see that he was in? <gasps> Van Helsing. Do you, do you ever see Van Helsing? No. <laughs> With Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman. That's oh, what I call Hugh Jackman. It was, it's Hugh a, it, it is an abortion of a film. That's what I hear. I hear it was not good. But it's still something it's, fun about it. It's, it's right. A disaster can be fun when it's earnest. Right, right. And I don't have a lot invested in things like uh, Van Helsing and Daredevil uh, and, you know, things that suck. Uh, I remember seeing it. I saw it, I saw it in the theaters because, oh, Electra <laughs> It's beautiful. I saw it in the theaters because I had this friend who was happy to have another black person yes. that loves art films. Oh. That was her whole thing. It's like no other black people will go see these movies with me. Van Helsing is an art film? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> we we saw a couple different we saw like Kenzie and we saw um, Okay. 
something. Oh, we saw the triplets of Belleville. And okay, that was in theaters. I, I love the triplets she, of Belleville. She loved it. I loved yeah. it too. I tried to show it, it to was... my family, and I that's buying. It's like right. you guys are Americans. Yes. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, when Van Helsing came out, she was so into. She was like Van Helsing. We got to go see. It. She kept calling it Van Hessling. Right. She's like, we. I got to see this. I got to see Van Hessling, man. It's like, <laughs> look, so I want to see that. So we went to see it, and I was like, I don't. I think you're going to be disappointed. It's in 3D. <laughs> It's, you went to the 3D. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I haven't seen and a movie that needed it. to be in 3D since Avatar. Did you see Hugo? I didn't. You know what? I wanted to see Hugo. I honestly think Hugo. I wanted to see Argo. I wanted to see everything with an O. With an O at the end of it? I think Hugo is was a, fa- a really interesting um, really well done. Well, because it's it's a good. I think it's a good movie. It's, it's gotten a lot. It's like it's a quote unquote love letter to film. Okay. But um, I think that. The 3D because it takes place in like Quentin turn Tarantino of the century. It, right? No, how hard, hard. It's turn of the century uh, well, Paris. The film. I think yes. Well, it's about the little boy with the with the with the Clockwork Man and the whole thing, yeah. right? And you know what? Honestly, the the marketing it makes it seem like it's more about that the robot robot boy, the automaton. Yeah. yeah. But it's more about the the fact that his father found this thing. He's, he takes care of it, mm-hmm. and then the guy, and then he, it then kind he, of connects to another character, another old guy, right? Another, another Ben Kingsley. Oh, okay, and it's it's great. I liked it a lot. A lot I, of people yeah, have I totally, but it gives such interesting dimension because he lives in he lives in a train station. Yeah, so it gives such interesting dimension dimension dimension, mm-hmm. not the Roman emperor <laughs> dimension to nice. the uh, the train station and to Paris. Yeah, at that time. Yeah, also. There's a documentary called Pina. P-I-N-A? P-I-N-A, about a German dancer named Pina Bausch who passed away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the documentary is about her theater in, I think it's Berlin. Yep. Uh, Tanztheater, which is, I I assume, German for dance theater. Sure, sure. And that's in 3D. And it's fascinating. The documentary's in 3D? Because it's a dance dance documentary. Okay. So it gives dimension and space to the dancers in the stage. Okay. See? That's why they call me Art Films McGillicuddy. Art Films McGillicuddy. Nobody calls 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 you that. that. (laughs) uh, There's no reason to call you that. No. uh, But the, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll tell you the last, uh, the last great movie I saw was, uh. Not the Owl Guardian movie, but the other one. The Guardians of Gahul. Not Guardians of Gahul or Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the oh, Guardians, which I wanted was, to see that. It is great. It's, it was a comic book, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was a like a like a young adult like like it was a, a YA? kids book. Yeah, oh, okay. I think it was a YA. But here's the thing about um, Rise of the Guardians is that it was a kids movie for children. Mm-hmm. Remember those? Yeah. Um, I know it isn't. It's no up where where somebody has a miscarriage in the first ten <laughs> minutes, and we have to learn about the pathos of not having your own children. Uh, I don't know how that really. That's right. She has a miscarriage. Yeah, yeah. The they best... can't have kids. Yeah, the best part <laughs> of up. <laughs> the best part. I felt like I was being punched in the face through most of up, and uh... I was trying to describe it to Eric Allen, um, who's never seen up. Who's never seen up, and I was trying to describe to him how. Because he has this idea that we're trying to figure out. And I kept saying, well, we can go this direction. He's like, isn't that too dark for a kid's movie? I'm like, have you seen Up? Have you seen Wally? Have you seen Wally? Wally is, we trashed the Earth. Right. And we're now living on spaceships, and we've been doing it for so long, our bones have deteriorated. Exactly. That's a quote unquote but, kid's movie. Right. The kid's movie of the clinically obese, but we're kind of still adorable. Wally look, is Wally's there's deep. There's a weed. Uh-huh, yeah. And uh, so there's hope. And and uh, who is it? George Went? No, it's John Ratzenberger. Anyway, continue what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Rise of the Guardians, 
great kids movie with mm. with the great message that I think you know like I used to think that kids movies should teach, mm-hmm. but now I now since Pixar decided that they want to teach people about pathos, uh, I don't want kids movies to teach. I want kids movies to encourage, and uh, and that's what Rise of the Guardian says. It's essentially it's against fear, mm. and it's just a basic Neverending Story too. Yeah, well, yeah, they're or just one. not two one. Yeah. yeah, so one's the nothing, two's the something else. Two's the bad movie yeah. that uh, no one needs to see. But the, uh, but the, yeah, but it's just, it's a basic, I mean, fear is, is one of the, we could talk about fear. That's some deep shit. We'll you do probably that. probably covered it. We'll but. do that later. Uh, no, we haven't talked, I haven't talked about fear. Oh, yeah, nobody's there are, there fear. are There are subjects that open up that include fear in them. Oh, I'm sure. Do you ever see Defending Your Life? Yeah, of course. Yeah, little brains, man. That's all we're doing down here. I got into a here. fight with a guy in college about Defending Your Life. Because he He thought out. it's a piece of crap. He thinks it's Meryl Streep's worst performance, and he's like, and he's like, and that just proves to me even more what a piece of crap it is. If Meryl Streep can't make it good, Ugh. he's like, then it must be awful. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I At love all. that movie. At all, that guy has his head so far up he's his wrong. ass. Wrong. That gentleman is incorrect. Yeah, because that's a that, what that, we used that, to dis- we disagreed on a lot of stuff. That movie is not a great film. What it is is it's a great movie. It's really a great movie in the fact that it's Ooh, it's it's well, Albert gotta, Brooks. What's the difference? Well, define the, that for yourself. Think of think of my friend Jim Wooster mm-hmm. uh, says that the early early Albert Brooks and old and and current and like later Albert Brooks. The difference between the real scout life, mother, uh, the scout mother. No, the scout. Oh, and, and mother. mother yeah. Which I later enjoy, later I, Albert Brooks. Right, movies. and I enjoyed mother. Uh, I know I'm almost alone, but uh, <laughs> I own that. Uh, the uh, um, but like real life. And Lost in America, I can't watch those. But he says, but Wooster says uh, the difference between old Albert Brooks and like the Scout and Mother and Defending Your Life is the difference between Seinfeld and Friends. And essentially, they're both about nothing. But one is sort of more self-aware and meta and 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 just sort of into itself. Mm. And the other one is very outgoing and external. And we're trying to be inclusive. Seinfeld doesn't is not inclusive, in my opinion. It is. It is. Yeah, you wanna you wanna come and uh, hang out with us? You can come and hang out with us. We're not gonna include you, but yeah. you can hang out with it's us. It's very. It's it's a it's a world of social rules that they're they're constantly navigating and inventing. Yeah. and they don't and they, they they don't you don't get to be their friend. You can be in the audience, and in Friends, mm. they're like, no, be our friend. It's very much you know. It's the difference. Whatever, I have a, a thousand analogies. Oh, but. okay. Friend, friends is for, you know what? Here's my difference. Here's my thing, and you tell me what you think of this. Friends is for the extroverts. Yeah? For the people that like to go out and be around people and want to meet people. Mm-hmm. And Seinfeld's for the introverts, where it's just like, ah, these people are just... That's uh, a more polite way of putting it. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's... Yeah. Seinfeld is Asperger's-y. It's, uh, you know, friends is more, is more HR, you know? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's not... And none of these analogies, by the way, are flattering to anyone. <laughs> anyway, but it's okay, your analogies don't have to be. But it flattering. doesn't. Yeah, but it's it's. But I like I like defending your life so much because mm-hmm. it's it's the perfect kind of movie where it has a point. You know, it has a point. It has, has a, a clear it message. It has a message yeah. that is underneath a very lightly dancing, silly kind of plot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a here's a goofy thing. Hey, there's bowling in the in the in the interim between lives, and there's going to be golf and, and horseback riding. Endless pasta. Endless pasta. He invented can... Olive Garden in that movie. 
<laughs> bottomless bottomless right? pasta and but yeah but it, so it's not you know it's not bergman it's it's albert brooks later albert brooks so but i but that movie was essentially all about fear you yeah know, it was it and and great speaking of fear mm-hmm. <laughs> let us slowly i digressed and I and um, not so gracefully transition into now you're looking at my mail and stuff oh what the heck the Art of Dramatic Writing. Yeah. Lajos Egri. I, th- I think it's Lajos. Why wouldn't it be? Um, that <laughs> guy taught workshops and classes in New York in the 40s and 50s. Oh, wow. And one of his biggest students is Woody Allen. Oh. That's one of his his bigger students who devoured up everything he has to say. And having read a lot of that book, yeah, it makes Woody Allen makes so much sense to me. Okay, because he's even- following along. Well, even when again, like you said, Albert Brooks's movie has a clear message. Yeah. So even when a Woody Allen movie is not that good, yeah, you at least know what he was trying to do. Right. You always know that <laughs> he's 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 aiming for something, and sometimes he fails, and sometimes he has leftover ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I recently saw Vicky Cristina Barcelona, mm-hmm. right? And then that movie's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. But then he had some leftover ideas that I think he did in his follow up, which was Whatever Works, with Larry David. Which is not so good. Because <laughs> it was just leftover ideas. I think it's leftover ideas. Then I feel like Match Point, which I did not like, which was really more tragedy than it was anything common. I haven't seen a movie of his since he married his daughter. Oh, okay. Uh, Hannah and her sisters. He married last, Hannah and her sisters. That's the last Woody Allen movie. I uh, which I think was his biggest commercial success until... Midnight in Paris. Yeah, Midnight in Paris is great. Which is it is it's and it and kind it's, of wasn't it Owen doing a Woody Allen impression? Every every main actor is essentially doing a Woody Allen impersonation. Okay, okay. like because Celebrity. I don't know if you saw that. No, I those '90s movies. Celebrity is Kenneth Branagh mm-hmm. doing uh, just a not even lying about it, not even trying to cover <laughs> it up. I am Woody Allen. That's what Kenneth oh. Branagh is doing in that movie. So and then Owen Wilson is essentially doing a Woody Allen in a way, but he is Owen Wilsoning it, and I think it's one of his best performances. There's like really some good stuff in there. Well, that's good because I mean Owen Wilson for me is the poor man's Matthew McConaughey. Uh oh. Or the other way. I feel like Matthew McConaughey is the poor man's Woody Harrelson. Oh, good call. Good call. Yikes. It might go Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey, Owen Wilson, hmm. but they're flip. You could flip it to Matthew McConaughey. I mean, uh, Woody Harrelson. Owen Wilson, Matthew McConaughey, in my opinion. But it's much like I go Michael Keaton, Judge Reinhold, Steve Gutenberg. But I can switch Judge Reinhold and Steve Gutenberg around. And uh, I think of them as poor men's uh, Michael Keaton's. Yikes. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> then... Uh, Dabney Coleman, the poor man's uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. That's it. Nice one, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely, right? Definitely. Um, I think. I think Darren McGavin might be in there as well for the poor man's <laughs> Gene Hackman. Sure. Um, the, what's the other one? Oh, um, Josh Dumel and Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, I can't play this game with you. You know who everybody is. I feel like Josh Dumel is the poor man's tip because Timothy Oliphant isn't justified. He was yeah. in Deadwood. Yep. But Josh Dumel is like in uh, Vegas. Okay. That one with James Caan. Right, right, right. And then he was in the first Transformers. Right, and I'm like, we don't need both of them. The good fan- Transformers. Yeah, the the, the good. <laughs> let's 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 specify. The first Transformers was the good one. It was the good one. <laughs> I genuinely enjoyed the first Transformers. Uh, as did uh, you know what else I enjoyed? What? Because I did not have a horse in that race What's at that? any time in life. GI Joe. Uh, haven't seen it. The the movie GI Joe. You never saw the first one. Never saw the first one. Um, I'm interested in the second one. It was dumb, but it was awesome. The second one has taken a good fat year 
to release because they had to reshoot some stuff because Oof. of because of something that happened in the news that was that was like similar to the ending that they didn't want to they didn't want to offend people or something. Right. I don't remember what it was. I don't know, but there were guns involved. There was, probably it was just like the the first Sam Raimi Spider Man was supposed to take place. He was supposed to suspend the Green Goblin between in between the, the two towers, towers, the twin towers, yeah. and then they were just like. Yeah. We can't put that in there now. That seems that seems awkward. I heard that they were going to take they took uh, the twin towers out of the Friends um, opening credits. Do 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 do. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Because um, <laughs> because that's where you because that's where I went. Um, okay, well let's slowly okay. transition into it because you talked about fear. So uh, you your subject that you uh, that I thought about that you thought about is was huge. It's a, it's a big one, and it's one we haven't done. And honestly, I have to I have to say that I'm a little afraid of this <laughs> topic. A, yeah, it's a big topic. It's regret. Regret. Now, what the dun, dun, dun. what the crap does regret mean to you? Well, I mean, when that's, you say that, what does it mean? Well, when I was thinking about it, because it it came up because there was a chance, uh, you know, I it, it was, you know, sometimes regret is just very minor, where you're just like. Oh, I should have done that. Mm-hmm. And the regret it's just something I mean genuinely right. like oh I wish I I wish I wouldn't have eaten that piece of pie and because it wasn't good enough to warrant the pie eating and the feeling after the feeling right. like I'm going to explode now. I'm going to explode and I could have eaten an apple. And but the but then there's the regret of not like not getting to know your brother well enough and then he dies. That has not happened. But I mean, but that does happen. Right. But that happens. People, they're like, well, I'm mad. At, I'm, I don't like him. I don't, I don't like him very much. He's not a nice guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I, I'm not, my mother's an asshole. I can't hang out with her. So, like, my mother died about mm-hmm. six months ago. Right. And my, one of my brothers, three weeks before she died, I went to Milwaukee and I had lunch with her. Uh, Andy and I went to Milwaukee and I, and we drove down from Minneapolis, and I was like, "We're just Fourth of July. We're going. Out, we're going to go visit my family. You haven't seen them in, since a couple of years." And since you got married, yeah, not that bad. But okay. um, but it was it was it had been a couple of years, and the my nephews he makes video games for a living, so they are nonstop with the how's Andy doing, and so of course, of course. <laughs> what's Andy like, and and what's he thinking about? So. Turns out he's thinking about games, but the uh, uh, <laughs> which is the answer they really want. Which is the answer that you know when I when I've been doing stand up for so long, everybody was you know m- more male comics than you would imagine, and many women comics will do that thing about how women are always asking men, "What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about?" And they aren't thinking about anything. They're never thinking about anything. Right. And you're like, "Wow, where's the? I'm gonna need a punchline at some point, but that's fine." Well, you but have, that's the topic. You say this thing in, that I love in your act. Um, and I've been thinking about it lately. It connects to something I've been thinking about because you have the whole the whole bit about when you got married that all you, all you knew about men was from people's acts. Right. Was well, all you knew about how women how what it means to be married right. is from from male comics bitching about their girlfriends and their wives. Yes. And then you list those things, and it's like that's true, and that's why I feel like there's there's been certain things that have happened in my life yeah. that I'm like that doesn't happen. Comedians talk about that. <laughs> or that was in a movie. People don't right. really do that. Right. There should be that shouldn't be real. It shouldn't be real. If it's a hack premise, it certainly should not be real. And my life is a hack premise. Well, that's the problem with hack premises is that much like stereotypes and caricatures, there's sometimes a grain of uh, truth in them that you have to 
fucking deal with. You have to deal with, but I, it's like I want to talk more about my life and my shit. But yeah. it's like it's all been talked about. What? I'm a black guy that doesn't have a father. We heard it. <laughs> I lived it. God damn it. Exactly. I get to find the funny in that. Exactly. And I think that there, there I mean, obviously, we can all talk about the same. We because everyone does talk about the same thing because of our experience. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you go down to Milwaukee. To, so we go down to, to Milwaukee visit, to, have to, have, lunch to have lunch. And so I asked my brother who lives there, who has tried to have a great relationship with our stepmother. Because mm-hmm. it was my stepmother of like 40 years who died. and um, But he's tried for the last 20 years to include him in his children's lives. In the, but she was married to my dad. And my dad and they they got divorced. and But they still lived in this tiny town. And... She was obsessed with him, and so she ended up going out with his buddy that he used to play cards with. Wait, who did? My stepmother. My stepmother ended up in a seven-year relationship living with this guy that... um, Despite your father. That could be speculated because (laughs) Bob, as the nicest, genuinely old dude in the world, 84... Yeah. Uh... They lived together, and Bob took care of her. Very fit. Got to be 6'2". Still incredibly athletic and very, you know, all of his hair and all this. I mean, the guy doesn't look 84. He looks maybe 70. Okay. And so, but Nancy, my stepmother, was in love with my father from 1970 until the day she died. And you're like, oh, my God. You know, it just it tells you about love and about regret, and you're just like, I would love, she's passed away, but I would love to ask, I was talking to Andy the other day, and what happened was, is I said, I wonder if she would regret that my biological mother died. Because my dad and my stepmother were living together Mm -hmm. when my mother died. And my mother had all of us kids, all of us six kids. Mm -hmm. And my dad never told Nancy that he had six kids. Okay. He mentioned, she knew he was married, and they lived together. And that she had made that terrible life choice, uh, as I judge. But, uh, you know, like, the thing is, is because people who go out with married people, yeah, that's a that's that's going to end in tears. Usually. Well, I mean, you, you got to do what you agreed to do. Right. And that if is the social contract it, you made. You, it, it's a social contract. And if you can't do it, you have to, to address that to dissolve the contract. That's it. Yeah. And so my father is a huge I love him dearly, but I was telling him this the other day. I said, Dad, you're the kind of guy who thinks he's already had all of the big conversations. Hmm. So when I picture him saying to Nancy, yeah, my wife died, so I get the kids back. And her going, the kids? And him going, yeah, the kids. You know, Terry, Philip, Scott, Russell, Darla, Jackie. I already told you. You know all about the fact that I have six children, ages 7 it's to 17. It's in my brain, therefore you must know. <laughs> you must know as a psychic lady. And so, but the thing is, is if my mother would never have passed away, if my dead mother had never died, Nancy would not have had to get married to my dad. Mm. And then they wouldn't, she wouldn't have had to raise us. Okay, all right. Because what she did is she spent 10 years raising his kids, and then she spent another 10 years taking care of his mother and her mother and till they passed away. Right. And then... She stepped into these obligations, but you're unsure as to how much she wanted to. Well, I know she didn't want to. Okay. She was, it was a recurring theme. I never wanted children. 
Oh, okay. So out she loud. said that out loud a lot. Out loud. While yeah, serving you breakfast. Exactly. Here's while, your cereal. I never wanted children. While making us elaborate breakfasts and dinners and birthday cakes and singing and reading to us and doing everything for my dad, who would show up occasionally. He would show up every week with money. You know, he lived with us, right? Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. would have dinner with us probably three or four nights a week. And um, But he was, he was in sales. So he, he was, was a gallivanter. Kind of, Yes, yeah, so he was always off work in the room, you know. He was making sales, making friends, playing cards, screwing around, doing the things. He was living his life. But the thing is, is so there's two choices of regret here. Mm-hmm. Is if my mother never would have died, they never would have gotten married. So Nancy would have essentially lived with my dad until they got sick of each other, right? Possibly, yeah. Right, or they would have lived together and he never would have gotten sick of her, right? Like it could have lasted... I don't know how long it would have lasted if, okay. if it wasn't for the fact that she did everything. There's a lot of big what ifs here. Yeah, it's a lot of what ifs. And I can now I can never ask her. And there was nothing she liked more than to talk about him. Uh, in the last. Just to bring yeah. it up. Like, fifth, they had been divorced and not talking. Like, they saw each other at my wedding, mm-hmm. which was six years ago. Yeah. And I invited Bob. And my brother and my dad were like, why are you inviting Bob? And I said, well, because they've been living together for three years. And uh, that's her significant other. So we got to face that this is, is a thing. Yeah, and she is my mother. She raised me. So you wanted her there. Seven. Oh, completely. So you had to invite him. Yeah. And, and I'm it not going to. It was a gonna... tit for tat sort of thing. Well, and it wasn't, it didn't even occur to me that you wouldn't invite somebody's life partner. Right. 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 It would be like not inviting my sister's girlfriend. Okay. We're yeah. not inviting anybody's boyfriend or girlfriend or right. husband or Which wife. Which I've gotten in the fights with people at weddings about. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> like you can't bring anybody unless you're engaged to them. What? What? It's, I mean, if you've been dating them for a week and a half, I can see you could just go no. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I was dating someone for a week and a half, I wouldn't. Take you would want wedding. it. You would want it. Yeah. Would be. We don't know each other yet. Yeah, there's not <laughs> enough there. It's uh, you know, six months are on. I say to some extent, you know, okay. it's and then. But it, but the point is, is that they they weren't talking to each other. No, no. And so they, is your dad a um, uh, I was gonna say cutter. That's the wrong word. Cutter outer. <laughs> like he just decides, like that's it. That's dead. I'm not talking to that person. Goodbye. Like he just oh, cuts you know them what? out of their brain. His brain. Right. Right. Which is a very, I think, male thing. Men do it more than women do. I know some women who do it, but I, I think I know what you mean. They're just, it's like, just like, we've broken up. You're dead to me to some extent. Basically. And I and, and I can be polite to you if I see you, but that's it. Yeah, but, and I, but and I'm not going to pursue seeing you. I'm not going to call you. You're just you're dead to me. Yeah. Just like because possibly, you know, no. of no, their my own negative feelings for that person. My father enjoys intrigue. He enjoys drama. He enjoys... So he's lifetime television for women. He is lifetime television. He is... Uh, if there's a guy that needs to be in uh, coleslaw, it is Elliot Cation, uh, which is S-L-A-A, uh, the um, Sex and Lovers Addict Anonymous. Oh, Jesus. He loves... I mean, but the thing is, is... is, And this is all speculation in all my opinion. And right. my father, you should have him on deep shit and have him do a rebuttal. I'm scared. <laughs> Oh, he's fascinating. He's genuinely fascinating. I know you're. I can. And you're fascinated by him. I'm fascinated by him. He's a genuinely smart man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't like. He can't. He never talked about Nancy. He know. He knew that I saw her for like five years. I every time I went to Milwaukee, I'd have lunch with her. I'd hang out with her. I'd see see what was going down. And um, he'd be like, she would always ask about him, and he would 
I would never bring her up to him. But by the end of the, the end of the the visit, he would say, "So what? What what's happening?" And he would always get this look in his face, and it was sort of guilt, as well it ought to be, right? But it was he doesn't know what to do with guilt. Mm. There's no there's no next step. He's like, "Well, I can't fix it. It's over." And you're like, "Well, you could change. You move forward, right?" I mean, that's I mean that's how you deal with your regrets in my opinion, like you do something bad, you can do several things. You can apologize. You can give people back the money you stole. Uh, you can do, you know, like whatever, whatever you regret, right? Let's say you've been horrible to mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. Well, you tell them, I realize that I was horrible and I'm sorry. Right. That's, it's a 12 steppy thing. Right. But penance. Pet and right, but even before any sort of twelve step, it was penance. It was it was a admitting that you yeah, it was a religious thing. It was just like where all the religions of the world are like, hey, don't be a jackass. And if you're a jackass, why don't you apologize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you have to admit that you're repent. a jackass to yourself. Yes, which is the hardest thing. Being right. honest to oneself. Right to be honest with yourself, that is hard. Is that the hardest thing, or is the hardest thing being honest to someone else? Well, I think they're both they're they're both equally hard. I think the thing being honest with to yourself. Is harder because you're with yourself all the time. Right. You're not. If you don't want to be honest with someone else, you can just not talk to them. <laughs> you're dead to me now. I don't want to be honest with you. Right. But you have to wake up and look at yourself in the damn mirror every single day and know what you did. Right. And you either you either admit it to yourself and process it and admit like, okay, I was a dick. And I'm mm -hmm. going to continue being a dick. Right. Or you go like, I can't. I have a forbidden episode that'll that'll never see the light of day with Ali Wong, and it was the subject of resentment. Ah. Now, she doesn't want me to release it because she said a lot of things about her family that she is afraid for – she's that afraid they would ever hear. that they would hear. Right, and that they might hurt their feelings. And might hurt their feelings, but in my opinion, I think that that is – that it just fuels her resentment. Oh, sure. You know, because – and I, I should have been more sensitive. Thing. I should have been more sensitive to her, but when she told me she didn't want to release it, I, I, got, I got pretty upset. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, you're choosing fear. You're choosing fear, right. especially because we talked a lot in the podcast because she kind of believes that all these feelings, this resentment, this regret, this fear turns into cancer. Like it's <laughs> it, it makes it it makes you sick. It makes you physically ill. Right. Because Hello, you're Louise. Hey, you're you're yes. you're denying, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go as far as the master and say in a past life you and that's why you have. Right. But it's like. There's, a, you know, if you are you holding on, you can make on, yourself sick. Yeah, you can make yourself. If you're holding you on to something so actively and it's so, and you're so yeah. actively fighting against it, you can fucking. I think it yeah. makes you sick. Well, and 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 if you extrapolate from anyone, anyone, you know that when you you feel bad emotionally, you can get a stomachache. You can feel bad sick. Yeah, you yeah. can get so sick. You your immune system gets all wacky. Yeah. So you extrapolate on I feel bad, I get a stomachache, to cancer. It's possible. It's very. I. I mean, I don't have a problem with it, only because I'm a giant hippie freak. And oh, okay. Um, well, Dana Gould also has that joke I love about like his wife yells at him, he says nothing, and then later I'll die of cancer. <laughs> I I say nothing, and then later on I'll die of cancer. <laughs> but I feel like the regret thing, and that's what I'm saying. It's hard to be honest with yourself because yes, we all have our blind spots, right? And it has to be the first step, obviously, and, right? And that's especially if you've justified. If you've built an entire village yeah. around the hole in your brain yep. and you act like the hole's not there, 
Right. He's like, oh, that's the old hole. We don't that's, go near there. No, we don't go by the hole. Well, why is the hole there? You got to get out of town now. <laughs> the moment someone asks that question, we kick them out of town. Right, right. We're not, ta- we're not talking about the brain town. This is a horrible oh, like metaphor. It. No, I like it, though. It's very – write that comic book. And, uh, brain town. <laughs> brain town. It's basically just a comic book version it's... of Herman's head. <laughs> and it's uh, the committee meeting of, of... – That would be the, the, the yeah. twist ending that I hate. I, I, those are like the whole comic was inside someone's brain. It was all a dream. Oh. Like Shutter Island – no. Did you see Shutter Island? No. Okay, well, Spoiler are you going alert? to see it? Nope. Spoiler alert, it's all in his head. Now look. TikTok. I hate that. Yeah. Because it 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 makes me feel so You've been the, lied to. It's, the, from it's the a lie. It's the ultimate manipulation. Right. You're like I've I've already suspended my disbelief by walking into a movie theater. You don't have to lie to me when I'm in the movie Even theater. Even more. Right. Create the universe. Now, that's fine. To be fair though, it's a clever film in the way that Martin Scorsese sure. made it, because you know all those 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 rules of like you don't cro- you don't cross the line of access and stuff like that. Fourth wall. Well, well, just in terms What's of like how of you shoot a scene. Okay. There's like a line where basically you know if you shoot the left side of someone's face, then the other shot has to be the right side of the other person's face. So they it, it's just a psychological thing that it looks like they're talking to each other when you're just looking at one person. Oh, okay. So sometimes if someone's talking and then you cut to the other person they're talking to and then the exact same side of the screen, yeah, we don't know it really, but it feels weird. It yeah. feels wrong. Oh, okay. So he does things like that where he. He breaks certain editing rules and certain filmmaking rules, and he's telling you the entire time this is all in this guy's head. Right. And there's also things that happen where the sound quality um, is messed up. It gets it. It sounds weird, and you're like, "What the hell? What the hell's going on?" Or sometimes the color mm-hmm. will be different, like the the exposure will be more or less, and just slightly, where you're like, "Wait a minute." So he's giving you, he's doing all these tricks mm-hmm. that kind of mess you up and make you go like, "Something's wrong." Yeah. You feel something's wrong the entire time. And that's why he's telling you it's all a dream. But still, I hate it's all a dream. Yeah, I didn't like Fight Club for that reason. Oh, and uh, I'll tell you, and uh, what it, it, ghosts? Uh, I see ghosts. Bruce Willis. Oh, Sixth Sense, Sixth Sense, Sixth Sense, the big switch. So those were fine. I mean, I well, Fight Club. I I don't know. Fight Club, I like because there's still action. Oh, it's, still, it's, it's, it was, in his, it's in his brain, yeah. but he's still doing things. Yeah. He's still punching people. He's still blowing stuff up. He just thinks it's other guy. Okay. But, but so Sh- that, and Shutter Island is still the same thing, but like, not really. I guess Fight Club is like still something happens in the end. It's not a loop. Shutter Island's like an endless loop that this guy thinks this oh, over Brazil. and over again. Yeah. The weird ending of Brazil. The weird ending of Brazil. And then. But the thing is, is those kind of movies. It's not that they aren't great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they aren't well done and quality and good things aren't that they somebody's got a lot of imagination and a lot of vision. Right. And it's beautiful. Uh, I have no interest in having that nightmare. So that is my thing about stuff like the br- ending of Brazil, where it's just he's strapped to the chair and you're like, dude, no. No, no, he lives happily ever after. He gets the fuck out of this thing because uh, I have to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> and I have to go to sleep every night. Did you ever read A Prayer for Owen Meany? No, I haven't. Uh, it's John Irving, and it's oh. the only John Irving I've ever read because uh, A Prayer for Owen Meany, I still have dreams about it. Ugh. I read it probably 20 years ago. 
Yikes. Yeah, no one wants that. No one no one needs to be haunted by uh some creepy uh some creepy brain monster. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah, so whatever. But you put monsters in my brain. Well the point the point ultimately yeah, that we're ultimately. trying to make is it's hard to be honest with oneself because we all have these yes. we're all living in this loop, bro. Yeah, that's Tyler it. Durkin isn't real, man. Right. The committee meeting in my head is in a constant state of Robert's rules wouldn't allow that. Robert's rules wouldn't allow that. We have to start over. Let's go back to the And it does the perfectly chair tie into defending your life i mean it's like he's there is it's really hard to be honest with oneself and it's really easy to choose what seems to be the easiest option which is just a coast which is which is the coast and which is to um what's the word i'm looking for um you're making these little decisions to feel good right now okay very much you know oh what's that instant yeah instant gratification it's like okay, I, I don't I don't want to feel bad right now, so I'm gonna cut off this particular thing. Right. Somebody said this to me, um, my friend Liz Mealy, who's a comic in New York, who's actually in L.A. right now for a little bit. We were talking about this, and you know, she's gone to therapy for a lot of her life, and, she, and we were talking about how you what happens is you create social rules and justify things in your head that you've done, right? You know, and you might create mythology around it. You might create a whole like something you did 20 years ago. That was your fault. You justified it in your head to the to the extent that twenty years later, you don't remember what you actually did. Yeah. As much as you remember that you felt okay, you feel okay about it. Right. You know what I mean? It depends right. on how bad the thing is. But if it's like a little altercation, you're like, you know what, that person was a bitch. That's what you tell yourself in your head for twenty years. Right. And then you remember it being the opposite of what actually happened. Right. But the point is that we create these social these survival mechanisms, these yeah. uh these ways of dealing, coping mechanisms. And what happens is we the situation changes. We still have these coping mechanisms to get us through right now. Mm-hmm. Then right now becomes different. We've gotten through it, but then we still have those coping mechanisms in place. Where it's right. like the the where si- you haven't let go of the defense mechanism. The, you were in the jungle, right? You figured out a way to live to survive in the jungle. Then you're out of the jungle, right? And now you're still acting like you're in the jungle, even though you're now in the city, right? It's crocodile Dundee, Ooh, of your brain. This is a knife. <laughs> and so yeah but the uh yeah i think the i i feel like that that resonates that seems true it's the weird thing about like when you do something mm-hmm. quote unquote bad something bad something yeah. awful yeah well, something well, shitty or something whether it's you know something you did when like when i was a kid i stole some candy from my sister that she was saving okay I still remember that. I still remember things I've done exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. Where I remember uh, my parents saying to me, that isn't, you know, like I got a, I remember there being a giant lecture about it. And it's, it's, it was me going from when, before Nancy came into my life, we lived a feral life. It was very, we were raising ourselves. It was, there was no, Rules, no boundaries, sometimes no electricity. It was huh? a, it was the movie Mama, but without ghosts. <laughs> no ghosts, Mama. And so, uh, but the it was so when Nancy came into our lives, and she had essentially the rules and regulations of the Austrian army, because she had six kids, or and five when my brother Terry was sent Suddenly, off. Suddenly, ju- she had six juvenile. kids. Also, right? Yeah. It was kind of like tomorrow. The six kids will yeah, be here. here. My mother died August eighth. Uh, August 7th mm-hmm. of 1972. August 8th of 1973, my dad and Nancy got married. Okay. And Nancy and lived in my father's mother, my grandmother's house, for that year. 
uh, so that he could have a year of mourning because uh, they were living in the 19th century. Uh, it was something completely absurd. But in that year, Nancy learned how to make my dad's favorite foods. She lived with my grandmother, right? She went to work. She had everything going for her. And, uh, and so Nancy didn't have to find a place to live because they were living together, shacking up, doing the devil's work. Right. But um, so for the year in between, my dad, I don't even remember that year because it was... We were all living in this apartment in the, in the tiny town I grew up in, and then we were living in the house that I lived in uh, that, that that my parents bought, my dad and my stepmom. So I don't know about that year. That year was weird. But I know in that in that year and the year after that, I had to learn all of the social rules. There were things that I thought, oh, well, you want that kid's bike, you steal it, you know, and mm. then... You don't need that kid's bike anymore. We'll just leave it on the side and he'll probably find it. It's a small town. And uh, but I mean, those things aren't, you know, like there were um, we lived next to uh, a tiny grocery store, Dick's Finer Foods, mm -hmm. who made the mistake of keeping their returnable bottles right by the incoming door. And I remember being four and five years old, picking up a six pack of returnable bottles that had already been returned, getting in line, getting the money again so that I can get some candy. Huh, okay. Right. So it was, I mean, very much raised feral kind of situation. So when Nancy, you know, and my dad were like... You were a little trickster. You were the jackal. I was uh, Loki. I was a baby you were Loki. Loki. And, uh, but whatever it was is... Um, so when I learned, you know, that other people's stuff is other people's stuff. You leave other people's stuff alone. You don't steal. You don't cheat. You don't lie. And I was like, well, what if I can get... In fourth grade, so this is the year after, right? Mm -hmm. If I can get, we uh, we did a play at school where we were Robin Hood. It was all girls. We were Robin Hood and the Seven Dwarves, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the but, yeah, the the. But the other kid, her dad made wooden swords for us. Oh, and it was one of the coolest toys I had. I had you know had ever seen in my life. Right, and I was like, I want that toy. I want it. I want to steal it. I want it. It's mine. I gotta have it. But I knew by then, by fourth grade, that I wasn't allowed to steal, that this is not cool. So I tried to get, I think her name was Lisa or whatever the kid's name was. Mm -hmm. I tried to get her to sign a blank piece of paper so that I could write a contract. Of giving you the sword. Yes. Because did the dad want the swords back, ultimately? She oh, totally wanted the swords back because he, he had made them. They were cool. They were for the kids' kids to play with. Right. And so he had just made them for the play. And he was like, they're my props. I bought the wood. I made the swords. And he did a nice job. He painted them silver and wow. brown. And it was neat. It was just plywood. And he just, you know. But it was still neat. It was neat. It's it, cool. It was cool. So, but the thing is, is, so I went from, well, I can't steal it. But if there's a way that I can legally steal it through, 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 the, through the shady offices of law. How are you not in the government? <laughs> oh, because I rejected it. You know, the three of my uh, siblings were student council president. Oh, good You know what God. I ended up doing? What? Uh, treasury? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they were in treasury, too. And there was some skimming off the top, my friends. Uh -oh. and, but I did um, the student newspaper. I was the power behind the throne. Okay, that's that was that was the commentary there. You were the Fox News. I was no, no, no. I was. Uh, um, I wanted to be. Um, I didn't want to be Hearst. I wanted to be um, Murdoch. No, no, I didn't want to be the bad guy. I wanted to 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 be the the real expose people. I didn't want to. Oh, I didn't want to gotcha, prop gotcha, up gotcha, the gotcha. puppet government. I got in trouble because I did a big expose about how the the sports kids were doing coke. Were they? Yeah. 
They were totally. You got in trouble for writing the news. Exactly. That's it, man. The truth. Uh, People are afraid of this expose, bro. That's it. And turns out the football player's not that psyched with Jackie Cation. Mm. Mm-hmm. But what I mean, but I also did things like I made a deal with the local movie theater. I was like, I'll write reviews for your movies if you give me free tickets to the movies. And so, so you were still like, what can I get for this? I'm co- constantly working that. Yeah. So raised to have that angle. And it was and I don't I have created that mythology in my mind. I was like, well, that's what I was taught. That's how that's what you do when you're when you're raised like that. That's that's the rules of sales. That's the rule of, you know. Well, technically, you're in a way you weren't taught. I was. You weren't was specifically all by, taught anything. It was all by osmosis. It was all by osmosis. It's like people leave money laying around. They're idiots. They don't want their money. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem to be the rule. Is that really the rule? And Nancy be like shaking, you know, like like a like a catcher at a baseball game shaking him off going that is actually not the rule uh we're gonna watch leave it to beaver and happy <laughs> days and mash and, and now you'll know you'll get some sort of this episode of different strokes <laughs> this is a very special Where episode of bootleg uh, m- 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 uh, uh, uh what's a uh, doobie Music? brothers concert oh that's is that uh, different strokes i think or I what's happening or something could have been could have been they bootleg a doobie brothers concert and they try to and then the doobie brothers show up and like you can't do this man <laughs> And reruns like sorry, he starts doing that. I don't remember. I think it was what's happened. It, that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like sounds the, more like do, the Doobie Brothers of all. Yeah, of all what's things. happening was like like the uh, like the poor man's version of Good Times. They were like, we're gonna have poor kids, but we're they're not no, gonna be, be truly. Maybe that's my mama. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that's even another generation. It's the poorer. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay, so. Uh-oh. So, so it's, it's the recreation. For... Yeah, it's the recreation of creating that mythology of some story. Yeah, and stuff. So the story you tell yourself. So when you're when you're talking about regret, you're thinking about like what is it that you think that your stepmother regrets? Yeah, sort of that's what that's what brought it up, and mm-hmm. I was just like, would she have regretted marrying him? Because I don't think that they would have married if my mother wouldn't have died. Because my father never would have gotten divorced. What is it that you extrapolate for your personal use out of this? Like. Is there something that is going on with you that you're just kind of like, that kind of is like when I did this thing? Well, you know, I tend to mine my childhood and my family mm-hmm. a lot for stand-up comedy. So when I think about something like regret, I'm like, well, how do I make it funny? How do I make it funny? Let's do this. And um, I don't have anything funny about it yet. All I have is an idea of, well, that's weird, right? Well, it's is it maybe because it's too present? Oh, it's Still, very much too like soon. Like it's only stuff. It's stuff that you're very much putting together. The it's only been a couple months since mm-hmm. she's passed away, so mm-hmm. it's all very like, you know, what's they say, tragedy plus time. Hasn't yeah. been enough time yet. Right. Well, and the thing is, is like I wrote a solo show uh, called Salesmen and Thieves, hmm. and it was about my dad and my uncle and my brothers, and it was and and then I wrote a second half hour called How Did I Get So Feminine. And it was about my mom and my stepmother and my grandmother and my sister. Mm. And um, and my father's like, where's the where's the next one? The one about the kids. Why don't you write one about them? Start writing about me. And uh, and th- we're going to call that It's a Terrible Burden Being Right. And But the uh, um, Salesmen and Thieves took me. I had a day job. I had a um, – I was a uh, office. You know, just, in just, office. Yeah, just traffic at a closed captioning company. So oh, okay. I had a lot of downtime sitting in front of the computer 
and I think it was pre-Facebook, 2003, my friends. 2003, I quit that job. That is right when Facebook was invented. Right, so it would have been 2001. But it wasn't open to anybody that wasn't at Harvard and Ivy Leagues yet. Okay, and so, but I wrote the solo show, and the stuff that I write starts from a place of anger and resentment and regret and rage, and then I find, like, why... Do I love that person? And where's the, like, all the stuff about my dad, you mm-hmm. know, the stuff about uh, him the, selling the aluminum siding and the toupee mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and all of the sort of the sales stuff about my pop. Teach a man to fish. Teach a man to fish. That, uh, all of that came from, started out as me going, what a jackass, you know, and what horrible things to teach kids. And then I was like, but it's funny because he was doing the thing that he, the only thing that he knows how to do, that's the only way he knows how to teach. He's like, you have to be able to cope. He And the, what his main coping skill in his entire life is, shit, I had six kids. I have to go find $100 right now. Mm. And if I can't find $100, I have to go steal $100, trick $100, dig up $100. I have to find $100. I mean, that, that's got to be. That, that's the mantra in his head. Right. And so it took me. Several thousand it's, drafts. It's to well find intentioned. That. That's what it is for that's, his children, at least. Right. That's. I mean, that's what I have to find. I have to find the reason why he did it. The story he's telling himself that justifies him taking advantage of other people. Right. For his own gain. And right? understand it. And understand it, and realize that he he did it out of love. You know, he did it out of a desire to be a good guy. He's like, I got to find this money because these kids are going to wake up hungry. You right, know? right. And so that's where I found the love for him, you know? And so with Nancy, I mean, I started out, you know, six months ago for years, quite honestly. I have thought she's an idiot for staying with my dad for the years that he cheated on her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the amount of work that he put her through, mm-hmm. and all of this stuff that I was like, <laughs> the hell, I would never do that. I would never sublimate my life for a guy who clearly does not love me back the way I love him. You know, I mean, that's the thing. You meet the love of your life. That's great. You better hope that that you were the love of his life or well, her it's life. It's very easy to get wrapped up in the push me, pull you arms link thing. Because if someone becomes more of a concept, like if I just, you know, it's all, it's that idea. If, if when I get X, then why <laughs> will finally be in place. Finally. So it's like she wanted your father. Mm-hmm. He was pushing her away in mm-hmm. a sort in a sense, especially because he was trying to take care of you guys. Right. So she was trying to please him constantly. And some, it, constantly, but made the mistake of maybe thinking that there was an end to it. Right. That at some point she's going to have done enough. That's it. That That's... everything's going to be great. But right, it, it, that doesn't exist. That never exists. It's, it's. I mean, that's how it turns into resentment and regret. <laughs> exactly, and so I mean, that's. So when I started thinking about regret and mm-hmm. what if she would regret things, and she's just like, you know, I don't. I mean, I have pictures of them. Like she gave me all of the slides one year, mm. from when we were kids and the birthday parties and their honeymoon, the trip they took to the Bahamas and all of this stuff, and she looked just happy. You know, especially mm. in their honeymoon and especially in the Bahamas, which she had no kids. And, uh, but the, and she didn't know about you guys yet. Well, no, no, she told oh, me. Oh, she did, she did, yeah, she did. But it was a vacation. <laughs> well, okay, but here's the thing, though. 
she still married him even after she knew the kids existed. Oh, right? yeah. So she made that choice. Completely. And and why eyes wide open, you know? Eyes wide open. Oh, you have six kids? Let's still get married. Let's still do this. I'm 26. And she... My, yeah. my oldest stepson will be 17. And... That's right. He's older than... She was older than she was. Your father. Yeah, he was 35. Okay. And um, so... You know, and we'll do this. And my brother Phil said there were many things that she did immediately that or that my dad did immediately that essentially made life that much better. Like the day Phil, my brother Phil tells the story. He's like the day before mom died, we had no food in the house. The day after she died, there was milk, there was cereal, there was rice, there was beans, there was hamburger. He was like there was a fridge full of food. And he said it really helped settle any sort of problems I had as a 15-year-old <laughs> mm. because, uh, you know, 15, you got a hollow leg because you're trying to, you know, and and it was. But the thing is. Did it stay like that, though? After yeah. That? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is Nancy, I'm not kidding. When Nancy, Mondays and Wednesdays were egg days, Tuesdays and Wednesdays were pancake days. Friday, she had to go to work early, so it was cereal day. Every night, every morning, she would get up at 6 a.m., wake us up. We all had to brush our teeth, come to the table, dressed, and uh, she would serve us eggs. She would serve us pancakes. She would serve us eggs again. She would serve us pancakes. (laughs) She would uh, leave the cereal out. After school, you had to be home by 5 p.m. If you were not home, every minute you were late, you were grounded a day. Mm. 5.30 was dinner. Uh, Dishwashing was scheduled. If you washed, you had to sweep. If you dried, you had to wipe off the tables. Um, there was a chart. Mm-hmm. There were okay. chores on Saturday where um, I was the youngest, so my chore was uh, pretty lame. Uh, and after you showered, everyone had to use a uh, cleanser and a scrub and and because sh- and, there was one bathroom. Did you guys do washcloths? We never did washcloths. Because that's very black. What's that? The washcloth. There's only one. Everybody doesn't have a different soap. It's the same soap, but everyone has their own washcloths. We had the same soap. So you, instead of taking the soap and rubbing it all over your body, right. you take the soap and rub it on your washcloth. Oh. And then you use the washcloth. That's how you, that's how that, you shared that's how, the soap. That's how soap should be used. We did not use washcloths. We had the same soap, but we were taught weird. We were taught to uh, Just put rinse the, off soap the soap in our hands and then put it on ourselves. But not on our bodies. Like you don't shove the soap. Well, the other thing is that you get. I mean, like just like a what a loofah sponge or what a sponge or a yeah. poof. Now, you at a washcloth, you get more out of the soap. Right, right. The soap lasts longer. The soap lasts longer. You can wipe the soap on it a little bit, and, <laughs> right? And the more that you rub it in, it feels it'll, like there's more and more soap. Right, right. Because it'll foam up. Because it'll foam up. Mm-hmm. That was the point of a washcloth is to yeah. is to conserve soap. Right. So I mean, so I mean, but Nancy made the commitment, and so. Years ago, I found what I loved about Nancy, mm. right? What I have now is a different level. Well, what is it that you found that you loved? Just the commitment that the fact that she was there. My grandmother always said that she saved our lives mm. and that she brought order into chaos and she created a structure in a desperately needed structuralist world. And so, and that is all true. And I found an appreciation for that. And I found an appreciation for who Nancy was as a person. Cause we hung out with her more than we hung out with my dad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because she was always around, but she was constantly reading. 
constantly watching TV. My brother Russ would follow her, pad, 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 and talk to her about movies and television and movies and television. Like, she would go to the bathroom. He'd be standing out. And he was 13. And she's like, Russ, I'm in the bathroom. Get a life. And uh, and then she'd come out of the bathroom, and he would continue his diatribe on uh, film. And <laughs> But he, but so she, because, like, when I think about it, I get my timing, and I get a lot of, sort of my chutzpah and my sort of the stage presence and a lot of that sort of thing from my dad. Mm -hmm. But from Nancy, I get my appreciation of very intelligent comedy. Mm. She was a super, she did not have a college education. She was a, um, associates. She had a, a, she was a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. So she had an, but she was smarter than almost anyone. You college know? doesn't, doesn't speak for one's intelligence. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it just she, speaks for the fact that you're in debt. Right. And so in the, like, like she grew up in the in the 50s and the 60s and it was well, the 60s, really, because she and so she went through like I remember she saw Malcolm X speak. Mm. She would go to dances and she was like, I lived hairspray. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, and she was my father doesn't vote. Right. Because mm -hmm. my father is essentially an ent. Nobody's on his side. So why bother? Right. And so uh so my the last person my father voted for was McGovern. And he wished that he had <laughs> and he wished that he had voted for Nixon. And so Is that what he said? Yeah. Because ah. he wants to be conservative, but he doesn't care enough. Hmm, okay. He just he he's not thinking in a Essentially he's a libertarian. But a libertarian in a very, very basic way, in the way that he's just like Leave me alone. Yeah, he's not Ron Paul. Right. He's he's because Ron Paul is well, maybe was Ron Paul Ron considered Paul. a libertarian or more of an independent now, right? Well, he's considered an independent, but the libertarians have embraced him. That's true. But he's just got old man politics. It's get your shit together. That's yeah. that's Ron Paul. He's like, I'm sick of carrying you. Get it together. Get off my lawn and fucking get a job. And you're like, dude, you're 112. <laughs> you know, not everybody. Remember that. Well, but then also the old men um, remember a word. Remember a world where there were just jobs. You yes. can't just show up to places and ask for a job. <laughs> right. That doesn't and and you can get rid of people's pensions, but then not and then yeah, Scott Walker. I'm gonna get rid of like teachers' pensions. But then I, I, I was there, there to... where, like the when I went to do comedy club on state yeah. comedy on state, that was the day after all of the protesting started. Because I was reading about it yeah. on my phone on AP Mobile. I'm like, wow, this is crazy in Madison. We show them I'm on a bus to Madison. <laughs> Holy shit! And I went and walked around that whole the whole protest. And then three weeks ago, he's a guy who wants there to be um, guns in in schools. Right, right, right. He's not thinking it through. Scott Walker. And then wasn't uh, and then you can't take Paul Ryan's from Wisconsin too, right? Yeah, that guy date raped me in college. Anyway, uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> but it's age appropriate, and he looks like him. Holy shit! <laughs> That's my favorite you line. Just <laughs> almost stopped everything. <laughs> but he totally looks like he looks. He like looks that like guy. the guy who date raped you. Yeah, yeah. He looks like that. Well, guy. here's the thing, though. You were still date raped, so that's still fucking. Uh, that's still brutal. Shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Jesus Christ. laughs> fucking hell. Oh. Um. 
you're asking for it with the whole no and don't thing. <laughs> and are you sure? No, I don't want to. I was like, oh, come on. And, uh, and you're oh, like, God, this is. This, I, we, we took <laughs> I'm so sorry. We took a dark turn. All you did was kind of open. The, hey, look at this darkness. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> I don't worry about it. I just saw a baby getting stabbed. <laughs> nah, don't worry about it. Walk it off. Walk Next it room. Off. There's Next cupcakes room. in this one. <laughs> Do you ever hear Chad Daniels joke about. Um, no. He, you know Chad Daniels? I, I know of Chad Daniels, but I've never actually seen any of his stand up. Oh, it's a treat. Yeah, right I know. Now, so. All I know is I have a joke that's similar to his that I stopped doing because I heard it was similar to his. Aw. But it's fine. All right. It's just two, it was just similar. Even though they're completely different, it was yeah. like they were, they were based on the same idea. Yeah. And and you didn't want to fight that. And I didn't want to. Yeah. Because also Eric told me the full version of Chad Daniels' joke. So he goes further with this metaphor oh. that I was also making in my joke. Right, because you have Eric Allen staying with you, yes. Minneapolis comic, as is Chad Daniels. Yeah, because my joke is basically about, uh, my joke is, this is my impersonation of an old black woman, in the old southern black woman in the water, about to attack you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 But then Chad Daniels has the joke is, I dated a black girl because Chad Daniels was white. It's like I dated a black girl. I always knew she was mad at me if she was like, "Mm mm-hmm. Okay. And if she was behind me, I'm like, like, is that Jaws? (laughs) Right? And then she puts her hand up on her hip. Oh, no, it's a dorsal fin. It goes on and on. So it's like, oh, he's making the same connection, even though I think they're different. Yeah. But it's similar enough that I want people to be like, you fucking thief, Baron Vaughn. No. But yeah, no. Well, he's a uh, people should go see Chad Daniels. You get an opportunity. But you were going to quote one of his bits. God knows what it was anymore. I it's know gone. that's a tangent. But that's all right. But um, these things happen. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a podcast. Well, you know what's interesting is that I because uh, you, you're some of the things that you're because so let me get a little romantic for five seconds here. All right. Because I, I guess what I'm hearing when you're talking about both your father and Nancy, mm-hmm. you're talking about two people who just had to do what they had to do. That's what I see is the the thing. It's it's. Older generation, yeah, not getting buried in their thoughts and their feelings like my generation tends to do. Right, the post generation, the post Gen Xers and Gen Xers and on. Like, but why? Why even think about it? Right. It's just like don't know time to think. Six kids, no time to think. No time to sit people. here and feel bad. Right, right. Six kids got people right. to feed. Got right. a schedule. Got to do it. So it's like it's just this. In a sense, they are the people that Republicans are talking about that just right. get shit done they get shit done go out and do it and get it done right and the crazy thing about everybody who's like things were better when i was a kid things were simpler when i was a kid do you know why because you were a child yes yes yes, you didn't have a job it turns out and you didn't have your own kids and you didn't have shit to do because you you're right things were simpler well bill you're right you don't have to worry about it bill maher said it is like things weren't better you were better it's like you you were a better person then that's why you're saying things were things were better back back then when I was like, oh, no, you, you were better. You were you weren't the jackass that you are today. You weren't the jackass complaining about everything. <laughs> then you were just a good person, and now you're not. <laughs> no, Bill Maher. Oh, Bill. Yes, and so, but yeah, it. Reg- I mean, regret is. I mean, I don't know. What do you think of it? Well, you know, I mean, because you, you reminded me a lot of stuff that I was talking about the other day. Like, you know, I had a. A tumultuous relationship with my mother through my childhood, mainly because she was a, she was an alcoholic. Okay, and now she's a recovering alcoholic. It's been okay. like over a decade. It's been like twelve years. Nice, um, and uh, maybe twelve or thirteen. And uh, it was in college, while I was in college, that she started to heal and started to change. Mm-hmm. And it was the same for me, because 
It's a combination of me having distance and perspective. Yeah. There having been enough time in between the last time I felt like I was a victim. Yeah. It wasn't this active thing anymore. Right. And then also just in theater school doing all this emotional and memory and sense work where I felt like I started to understand it from my mother's perspective. Because I'm 32, Mm -hmm. right? My mom had me when she was 19. Mm -hmm. She turned 23 days later. Wow. And she was by herself. My dad was like, you're what? Bye. Forever. Gone. Forever. Gone. Right? Which is harder now because of Facebook. Right. So when you want to abandon your kids, you also have to be like, oh, but I can't do Facebook or Twitter now. Yikes. I can't (laughs) check in on Foursquare. My kids will find me. My kids will find me. Son of a bitch. It's harder in the digital age to be a deadbeat dad. (laughs) Um, So he was pieced out. So it was just her. Yeah. Right? And then she had... The, the pressure of my grandmother, who's, yep. a, who's, a, who's a hard ass. My grandmother's yeah. a hard ass. And her, my great-grandparents, because mm-hmm. apparently the way that she was described is my great-grandparents were mad that she was having sex outside of marriage. That's how old-fashioned they were. Right. That my grandmother, being the progressive woman she was, was upset my mother wasn't getting an abortion. She's like, right. you're 19. Right. You know, don't you can't do this. Right. But for reasons, whatever, my mom had me. Right. But then she was still in school. In college? In college. And she was working a full-time job. Right. So it took her six years to get her degree. Yep. As far as I know. And my great-grandparents mm-hmm. raised me until she was about until I was about six or seven when she came and got me, and then we moved to Las Vegas with my grandmother. And it was me, my mom, wow. and my grandmother, right? Yeah. So when I look back at it, like I said, I'm 32. My mom had a fucking 12-year-old when right you, now. Yeah. I've been doing this podcast with you. And there'd be a little asshole with his attitude <laughs> over there being like, we're on a Sprite. That's what would <laughs> – that was it. You should drink some water. No, nope, only Sprite. Only and then Sprite. getting sick all the time in high school and wondering why. Uh-huh. Like, well, maybe it's because I don't drink any fucking water. I eat <laughs> sugary cereal, drink Sprite and Coke, and that's it. Wow. So when I look at it that way, it started to, I started to see in college that – And that's the other thing. That's why I couldn't do colleges anymore. There was a point where I was just like, I can't make people laugh that don't pay their own bills because they have no perspective on – because once you get out of school and you have to start paying your own bills, that's when you realize, hey, I belong – like there's a position I'm in in the world. Where's this money? People want my money, but where am I supposed to get it from? Right. Right? You start start thinking about how things connect. Before that, everyone else is paying for your ass. Right. You're sleeping in someone else's house, mm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. College is, of course, is a bubble. It's not reality. It's an entire bubble. But in there, I started thinking about my mom and started thinking about she was in pain. There was a shitload of pressure on her. Yeah. You know, From especially absolutely every direction and by, and doing it by herself and internally, no doubt. And cause... internally. And so it's like, so, yeah, that was an escape. Yeah. It was the way that she felt that she could just turn shit off. Right. So from when you were. Six or seven Mm -hmm. until, I don't know, you were 22, she was drunk. Well, the drinking, at first I didn't notice it because it didn't really affect me. But it wasn't, of course, until I started going through puberty and started having my own uh, uh, feelings and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that she also probably felt that she couldn't control me Mm -hmm. like she used to be able to. Right. That I, you know, that it was just kind of, there was just the tension of it. Right. And then my stepfather came in, who's the kind of person that uh, cannot and will not ever accept blame for anything. If anything goes wrong, it's because <laughs> everyone else is an idiot. Wow. And I'm Jesus. Excellent. That's basically his life philosophy. That's perfect. So it's like it was a combination of all these things. and But it wasn't until I was in college I started being like, you know what? I started 
forgiving, started healing. I can't hold grudges right, yeah. forever. And then it just, the timing-wise, she was in a similar place. Right. So we started talking about this stuff. Started okay. hashing it out. For real. Oh, for real, over the phone. Yeah. Right? It all And it all kind of happened right around when my great-grandfather passed away. Okay. And it was like, so we connected in this way that we hadn't connected. When my grandmother passed away in 2006. Right. It was, and my grandmother and I were really close. Shared a bunk bed. It's a whole hilarious story that right. everyone loves. <laughs> Who had the top bunk, people say. Um, <laughs> my Grandma, me, of course. She's you, not going to climb. She's, she, does, she's, she doesn't want to. She's got to count her change and right. watch her stories. <laughs> she's not that excited about exactly. climbing to the top of a bunk bed. I don't know that she wanted to have the situation. Right. But that's where, when my grandmother passed away, we there had been so much hashing out with my mom by that time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of forgiveness and creating a new relationship with her. And I now believe I now consider my mom <laughs> one of my closest friends, which is which sounds so dumb to say, but it's true. But no, that's great. But and then also my grandmother and I were always really close, and she's a gigantic influence on me and how I see things and how I interact with the world. Mm-hmm. So her passing away, her passing away, there wasn't this. Oh, I never got to say feeling yeah there wasn't this i i held this grudge i didn't get to forgive i didn't get to heal i didn't get to blah it felt like when my grandmother passed away so much was on the table yeah and so much was understood and uh, about like how much we matter to each other yeah that i didn't feel by that time i i i didn't feel regret yeah which is why i didn't cry me and my right. gr- me and my mother both didn't really cry it was kind of like this is what has happened especially because it's still it was, sad and you miss and you miss her. And and I miss her. And it was yeah. really not until like a year later that like sometimes and sometimes I have the moments where I really fucking miss her. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's like a weight. It's, yeah. And, it, but, and it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. But right. at the same time, um, the only thing I regret maybe is that when I was in because I was in New York by that time mm-hmm. and so busy with my fucking life that I wasn't <laughs> communicating with her as much as I wanted to. It wasn't right. talking to her as right. much. And it was hard to get to vegas from new york it's yeah it's, uh, plane tickets expensive yep right yep and you're coming go to vegas not... or pay my rent yes but i could have been in more so that's the only thing i'm like i could have been in closer touch but i did uh, maybe the week before she died talked to her on the phone briefly mm-hmm. and basically i just apologized for not being in touch yeah and just saying like i know it's i'm it's new for me i'm getting really distracted so you know and i and it sucks with the time thing and it's like i know it shouldn't make that much of a difference but I'm going to try better, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry that I haven't been in touch as much, and I love you. Yeah. And she was like, okay, cool. I appreciate that. It was, yeah. I appreciate you saying that, basically. Yeah. It was the last thing. That was the last conversation That's... we had. And then she died out of, all of a sudden, a heart attack. Right. Lived alone. It wasn't like I had to watch her die over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, Nancy died in a day. In a day? She's 67. Yeah, same and just, age. And My weird... grandmother's about the same age. Yeah, and just it just happened. And I had talked to her a week earlier um, on her birthday, because mm-hmm. her birthday is July seventeenth, mine's the twentieth, so we always talked on our on her birthday, and I'd I'd had lunch with her the fourth of July, and so on the seventeenth I call her, and in the course of the conversation, we're just talking, she thought that I said you're going to die. How okay. weird is that? Because she goes, I'm not going to die, and I said I didn't say you were going to die. When did I? And she said you just said you're going to die, and I said 
well, we're all going to die, but I didn't just say you're going to die. So that the last conversation I had with her was essentially, well, I love you. Save hi to Bob. And, uh, and she's like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. That's not what I say. That's, uh, turns out uh, she was going to die. <laughs> and we all, <laughs> we all die. But Be careful when you say that to people, Jackie. I guess. From now on. I guess from now on. Well, that's when the thing. I it's like mumble. Mumbler. What's that movie? The Hours. Yeah, I've never read any. Vir- I've never me- I've never read Virginia. You know why? Virginia, you are not looking for a sad sack to crawl into. Well, Virginia Woolf, right? Yeah, because she's a character in The Hours. Yeah, I've never read Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. but you know, you've seen The Hours, right? Nope. It's three consecutive stories of three women whose lives have impacted each other. Mm-hmm. It's Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. who wrote Mrs. Dalloway. Sure. Then it's a woman in the fifties reading Mrs. Dalloway mm-hmm. that has a she's she's gay, but she is. Locked into her duties to being a wife to a man who does not appreciate her and having a son. Okay. Then the future, a gay female couple Mm -hmm. who are friends with this gay painter who is dying of AIDS, played by Ed Harris, Mm -hmm. who happens to be the older version of the son of the woman in the 50s. So it all kind of. Ed Harris is the older version of the son? Yeah. So it's like it's it's Virginia Woolf who wrote this this book, who reaches to this woman in the 50s. Who's reading this book, right. trying to raise her father or her son, by, by who's the who's fathered by a man that she doesn't love and who doesn't appreciate her because right. she's gay, yeah. right? And then um, I don't remember exactly what happened. She might leave. I think she leaves. She does. She just leaves. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happens. That's why the son's all fucked up. Mm-hmm. So then him as an adult now he is a gay painter. Yep. And so it's all these lives. But there's a whole thing about Virginia Woolf, and the line is. Why does Mrs. Dalloway have to? Because the book is Mrs. Dalloway going through her life, and then she kills herself. Right. And it seems like, what? So she's miserable the whole time, I guess, is the, is right? the thing. Which is what this woman <laughs> in the 50s is like, that's me. I'm miserable. <laughs> and nobody knows. Um, and she's Julianne Moore. So uh, she says, well, why does, why does she have to die? Why does Mrs. Dalloway have to die? Right. And then Virginia Woolf says, so others can live. Aw. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's that thing for me where... When someone dies, when there's a uncontrollable tragedy, whether it be death or destruction, right, it takes that to realize how petty all the shit you think about this person might actually be, right. And some people can have perspective on that, and then some people still have a hard time being honest to themselves, right. Shit, there was a hurricane where they live. Mm-hmm. I want to know if they're okay. Nah. Right, because I haven't talked to them in three years. I haven't talked to them in 30, three to 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it doesn't, like, yeah. I mean, the the whole thing about, I don't want to live in regret. Almost, it's it's one of the things that drives me, you know? Just like, I want to try to do things. Do the things that you want to do and say what you got to say to people. Right, and I still, you know, I have instilled in me that I need to be a responsible member of society. So I don't want to be a burden on anyone. Strong Midwestern values. Sure, sure, bringing it, bringing it, and uh, <laughs> but the uh, but I don't, you know. But there's like, you know, I remember my sister got me a job interview. She was like, "You could still do comedy and manage a McDonald's," because <laughs> I had I had worked at a hot dog stand in the summer, and I had been assistant manager for three years at this hot dog stand in Massachusetts. And she was like, "You could totally manage a McDonald's or a Pizza Hut." So she got me a series of interviews with Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and McDonald's. And I went in wearing my weird polyester suit. And um, I was like, I can't. Is there another way 
can I please have a shitty, a different shitty day job that isn't 80 hours a week? Well, because you also wanted less responsibility so you could, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing, so you could concentrate on comedy. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that has been the choice that I've made. I'm like, I will drive a shitty car and I will live in the valley and uh, and have a nicer apartment because I can live in the valley and have a shitty car. And then I have a weird day job that I am completely extraneous. Like, seriously, like a very bright monkey could have done what I did uh, <laughs> if they were detail-oriented on occasion. And they can be. They can be. I mean, they, they pick out all those ticks. <laughs> They're good at it. And the fleas, yeah. And the, and the poop throwing, huh? They know. They got aim. They got aim. They got game. <laughs> and so, but the, um, but yeah, I've always, like, it's, it's, it's like writing for other people. It's something, I could get a job probably on a writing staff. Yeah. And make a great deal of money doing such a thing but then but then i would have a hard time being the creative person that i am yeah i know some people like Lori kilmartin does it Lori kilmartin has a great job writing for conan and she does her own stand-up and she helped write that book that's a bestseller and she has a baby and she has a five six-year-old son so i mean so i remember when she was pregnant Right, right, me I too. The jokes about it too. Oh, that's the greatest joke. It's the one joke I stole. What was? What, what and then was I had this? to. I had to call her. You stole it on stage. Yeah, I accidentally uh, said it out loud. Yeah. Which which joke are we talking about? The joke where she, uh, her mom said, "What kind of birth control were you using?" And my she, age. My age. Katie Couric told me I was done. And uh, loved that. Loved that joke. It's the greatest line. And so I said it, and I just looked at the audience, and I said, "For the full, uh, for the full parts of that work, uh, see LoriKilmartin.com." And then after the show, I called Lori, and I was like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, okay, well, don't do it again, and I appreciate you calling. And, uh, <laughs> you may have culped. Yeah, totally, totally. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that there are people who can do it, right? But I don't necessarily have ever, I've never felt like I could. Like, I, it's like I always knew that I could make money as a day job selling. Because I can sell. I can sell you whatever you want, whatever you would like to purchase. I could uh, facilitate that. You know what you can sell? What? A punchline. Watch out. Watch out, right? You can, you can sell You can sell a joke. I can sell a joke. <laughs> and that's my dad's thing. He's like, well, that's all comedy is. You're selling a joke. Because my dad's a giant salesman, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so everything's a sale to him. And so, but I never wanted to use that sort of creative energy that is, is used up in trying to convince people to buy things uh, as a day job. Like, I, I don't, uh, I did warm up one time. I don't want to do that either. Because that saps all of my patience with the audience uh, and and all of my creative energy as well. So, because I'm trying to Delicate keep them entertained. Balance. Yes, yes. And so I, I've made I, I, I've made decisions, real decisions, to not have things because I want other things, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't regret those things. I never regret any sacrifices I made for comedy. Like... I just got married, right? Like five, six years ago, I get married. 39 years old, get married. Beacon of hope over here. But here's the thing. No babies, right? And people are like, don't you want children? Don't you regret never having children? And I'm like, a little. But I, but because the only reason I ever wanted a kid, I never wanted kids. I Because my mother had six children, I was like, I am clearly a fertile myrtle. And I will have all kinds of uh, birth control involved in any sort of sexual activities even even completely drunk i was like go get a condom go get one and uh and so but the in the in the place where you can make the most regrettable decisions you're still right. responsible like, i'm still responsible no, no, i'm not kids. having a baby i grew up in a house with six kids <laughs> it's not happening one bathroom not happening but when i got married to andy that the regret i have is that 
there's no tiny Andy. Because Andy's awesome. I would love a tiny Andy. But that regret is also tempered by the fact that I don't want to raise a kid. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. If it's if and what we did is when we got married, we decided that we would just let nature take its course. Like I was like, I'm not gonna take fertility drugs. I'm not gonna take So if you get pregnant, it happens. Right, then but you're not seeking. Then the earth needs seven billion one person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh that the universe guide my pregnancy. The, yeah, the universe, man. And so but if I don't but if I don't have kids, I don't have kids, right? And there are so many people. There are plenty of children. There are plenty of people. This planet, I I'll, I genuinely think that the Earth, and this is a hippie skippy, but the the Earth, I swear to God, with the earthquakes and the tsunamis and everything, and the Earth is going, are there really 7 billion of this one animal on this planet? Is there a way <laughs> that I could... <laughs> if there's a way I could just knock just a billion off. Well, I remember Kurt great. Vonnegut saying... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was on his uh, he, the Daily Show. It was a Daily Show appearance. Okay, he sits down and then John Stewart says, "How you doing?" And he goes, "Mother Nature is sick, and there's no reason that her immune system is trying to purge her of us." <laughs> it was like, "Whoa, what?" That's how that you was started? the introductory. I'm paraphrasing, but it's like yeah. she's sick, and then whether her immune system trying to get rid of us. Like, yeah. whoa, they started right there. Mm-hmm. That's where we're starting. Where do you go? Right, right, right. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Ivana yeah. gets it. You know Ivana I mean? gets so it, stupid. dude. Nice. This nice is the dumbest pun. thing I've ever That's, said. Uh, can't possibly be. Vomit. Uh, my cat. <laughs> cat would be like, well, I can make one. I can make better ones. Ivana, <laughs> get out of here. He's a, he's a wordsmith at my Kaplan. Uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, yeah, so when I thought of regret, I didn't have any any topics for it, but we have a, we have a, but it that it. Well, but you're, 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 you're saying that you've set yourself up or you're trying to be a person that doesn't regret. Right, that you're that you are conscious of the decisions that you're making mm-hmm. to get the things that you want, so right. you don't regret what you've done. And more today than ever, like I like I when I because I lose my temper sometimes, mm-hmm. and I lose it in retail situations, or I lose it some poor bastards making nine dollars an hour, and I have to make their day harder. And so, but the thing is, is because I don't want to live in regret, mm-hmm. I I don't lose my shit as much as I used to. I don't yell at people because I made a pact with myself probably five years ago mm-hmm. that I would apologize in the moment. I saw you do that. Yeah. At a show where the show was taking forever. Uh-huh. You, nobody knew when they were up. Mm. I was the host of this show. Which was that? I was, I'm not going to say it. Okay. I was only finding out who was up the moment before I was bringing them up. Because there was a lot of comics, and everyone's wow. like, "When am I up?" I'm like, "I have no idea. Mm-mm. I do not know anything." Mm-hmm. And you were there, and you were, and it was right after Nancy had passed away, so it was fresh. Oh, that yeah, it was fresh, and you were in that place. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, I don't know why she's here." I don't. I was like, "Well, I don't right. know why she's not just at home crying." Right. But obviously, you had a set. You wanted to do it. Right. And comedy makes everything better in my. But life. then also it was t- you. You know you were but sitting was, there like when it, this is taking forever, watching the audience get drained of their energy. Yeah. Where you're like, well, they're not going to have anything left for me when I get up right. there. And I and I and yeah, and I was very impatient that night. I remember now. And you blew up at the person who was running the show. Yeah. Now, personally, I was like, yeah. I was, was like, two, someone has we were, to say what you said. Two and a half hours into it. <laughs> and I was like, who's going to – I remember thinking someone's got to say something yeah. about it. But you, but you in the same moment 
that you that you kind of blew up, and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go. I don't want to do this. Yeah. You at the same time, I saw you be like, no, I'm gonna calm down. Yeah. I'm sorry that I blew up at you. Yeah. There's a lot going on for me, and I was like, yep. shit. Okay, you put it on the table. Right. And I watched it from a distance. <laughs> That's the best place. I didn't want to. I didn't want to come want over there. Seats, uh, <laughs> when I lose my shit. But I saw it, and I was like, and I saw you in the same moment apologize. Yeah. And get and, and gain yourself back. And I was like, all right, Jackie Cation's a human being. <laughs> I, remember, I, am... I remember thinking that. <laughs> yes, indeed. I will both lose my temper and apologize. This is a special occasion. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, boy, penitentiary, pun to life. Holy crap. Use a pun, go to prison. So, anyway. Yeah. In closing. In closing. Yeah. Uh, you're just moving forward, trying to say what you need to say to people and not regret things. Right, right. And, and, yeah, and I think I would encourage others to because I am the boss of the world. Well, it's, that they should do it as well. It's hard, and I, I guarantee yeah. you, whoever you're mad at, mm-hmm. it's probably not that important. No, are you kidding me? Unless the, they did something really, 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 really awful, but still, you can find some forgiveness in there. You don't have to talk to them. I snapped at a lady, uh, a luggage handler, mm. about two weeks ago because I had done twenty six shows in eight days. And I what? was so tired. I was in New York, and I said yes to everything. I also learned in that moment that I don't have to say yes. Yeah, you don't have to say yes to, to every podcast, to every nice young man who's like, hey, I got a fifth floor walk up in Harlem. Uh, we're doing a podcast there. And I was like, this doesn't fifth floor walk up. Uh, let's meet somewhere ground floor, and maybe I'll do it. And you come to me, brother. And so, but I didn't, I didn't. So I kept it together. Then I went to Toronto, and there was some so there was some weird stuff going on there, but it was great. It was super. Everyone was incredibly. The shows were wonderful, uh, but I had done so many shows. My throat was scratchy, and I was, and my luggage. I thought my luggage got lost, and I said to this woman, "Well, fuck this," and I said. I was told that this would happen, and she said, "I am very sorry. There's nothing I can do." And I said, and I stopped, and I was like. I am being an asshole in that tone of voice, yeah. and I am so sorry. <laughs> so so apologize like, back to her. I apologized to her, but in that tone of voice, which uh, she was just like, yeah, oh, okay, are you aggressively apologizing at me? <laughs> and I gave her $20 in Canadian. Uh, <laughs> I bought an indulgence. <laughs> oh, just take this envelope. Don't open it till I leave. I essentially threw like a plastic uh, $20 bill at her because that's what the Canadians are using these days for 20s. Yikes. Um, and I felt, I felt, I was like, well, that could have been, that could have been done with a little more style and panache. <laughs> but sometimes, you know what? There's nothing wrong with, you Being have to human. let things out. Yeah. You have to let things out. And if There's... I can catch myself, and I got myself immediately, so I win. But yes, I'm the, the in an ideal world, you know what you know what the twelve step people say? What? Progress, not perfection. I don't know what that means. It means uh you get better, but you're never gonna be perfect. So why don't you shut it? Hey. Why don't you get over it? Good 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 note to go out on. Yeah. All right. Um, I'd also like to add, don't be a dick. <laughs> That's a lesson that we all know. That's the golden rule, isn't it? Don't be a dick. Um, so, yes, uh, that was Jackie Cation, as you know. A great conversation. Check out her podcast, The Dork Forest, also on the All Things Comedy Network. Check out other All Things Comedy podcasts like 
uh, the flop house or walking the room or the new edition the champs uh, podcast or Bill Burr's morning Monday morning podcast or Jake Johansson's uh, Jake this or uh, the Harland Highway or um, soccer comics that's another new one with Ian Edwards a very very funny very 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 funny comedian um, minivan men with uh, Al Madrigal Mastro Brani and Chris Spencer or some combination of the of two of those three men at uh, uh, different times of the day anyway guys life is life and life is life you know what I'm saying um, so do it to it have a good one <laughs>